This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. Couldn't be, be more ecstatic to be a Carolina Panther. I'm ready to get to work. This is just day one, but to be able to finally start day one and be able to attack it and be able to start that process, um, it, it feels great for me. First overall pick at his first days of work over the weekend. We'll say hello and welcome into NFL Live. We're going to start there in Carolina. Dan Orlovsky, Mita Kimes, Marcus Spears, uh, and Field Yates. And you may have heard it's been a busy offseason for the Carolina Panthers, which began when they hired former Colts head coach Frank Reich way back in late January. Then in March, the Panthers acquired the number one overall pick in the draft from the Bears in exchange for DJ Moore plus a whole bunch of picks. Carolina used that pick to acquire former Alabama quarterback, and the 2021 Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, who spoke to the media after his first official practice at Panthers rookie meeting camp over the weekend. This is a huge day for me. Um, you know, this is my my first day of practice. Um, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. So of course, you know, I, I wanted to wanted to set the tone. Um, obviously, there's a lot more work to be done for me. Um, there's a lot of, I want to get better at, improve at. There's a lot, you know, more for me to go. This is just day one. Um, but to be able to, you know, finally start day one and be able to attack it and be able to, you know, start that process, um, it, it feels great for me. Bryce made a great impression. Um, obviously, mentally and physically looked apart in every way, threw the ball exceedingly well. You could tell he was in a good space mentally, um, really had a firm grasp on everything we asked. Dan, plenty of like from this weekend from Bryce Young, but we saw this for the first time. Bryce Young, his size does stand out when you see him alongside fellow NFL offensive players. Yes, those are offensive linemen. It kind of reminded us why that size question was a big part of the pre-draft process. How should Bryce try and combat this out on the field? Though? Well, there's a reality of things that you can control with the size and things that you can't. Um, there's some scheme things that you can do and then making sure that you try to minimize the liability of him getting hurt. I think if I was Carolina, the one thing I'd want to really focus in on is how much we maybe can do under center. And okay. the reason I say that is because more under center that you do, the more you can try to build in throwing lanes for shorter quarterbacks. I go back to Drew Brees' time with Sean Payton, and Sean was a master of this. Of like, Look at there's six guys in this protection, baby face, right? There's that hardball play action. Now look at the, I call an accordion, like the expansion of the offensive line. There's a throwing lane I built in. There's one in the middle. There's one to the right. And now he's got a really clear vision of really where he wants to go with the football. I think it's hard to replicate that stuff from in the shotgun. Now, they will live in shotgun more often than not, and it will be a little bit more spread out and RPO-based, but Bryce threw the ball seven times at Alabama from underneath center. Mm. And I think if you're really trying to maximize it, how can you get comfortable or get him comfortable doing stuff like that, the Saints did with Drew Brees, I only think helps keep him clean and seeing the field a little bit better in their play-action world. Don't you think as a defender, if the offense is in shotgun, they're a little bit more predisposed to think 
this might be a pass, yeah. right? Hands up, hands up, balls, sort of sure. one step ahead of where you might be from playing under center. Swaggo, of course, you offer the defensive perspective, and if you're opposing a smaller quarterback like Bryce Young, what are some of the yeah. things that you're trying to do on defense to maybe take advantage of that size deficiency? Well, first and foremost, I didn't want to come on here giving Dan credit immediately off the top of the show, but I have to because <laughs> what he just said is absolutely genius. And it's what we talked about. We had a long discussion about under center and eight minutes. I believe we talked about how it puts defensive players in a bind. And the thing that you're creating and what Dan is talking about is trying to help Bryce Young, the defense, give them more to see. That is what happens when you get under center. You give us more to see. Now, if he's not under center, I'm telling my defensive tackles, push the pocket. I don't need any superheroes unless it's Aaron Donald or some of those guys that can win rushes on the interior immediately and get back into their rush lane. I want to put the pocket in Bryce's lap and make him go out and let my DNs, these DNs now that run four fours, low sub four fours chase. That's ideally what you want to do to Bryce Young. But from the interior is the most important thing when you're talking about rushing him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to Dan's point, again, I guess I'll, I'll praise him, too. I thought that was a good point. And um, Russell Wilson, his first couple years in Seattle, uh, really benefited from the under center play action game to find throwing lanes. They're about the same height. Frankly, yeah. I think Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray would, too. Um, and, and that's not something that they do a lot in Arizona. But for, for Bryce, um, I, I agree. There's a lot they can do with scheme to mitigate the height issues, and we've seen quarterbacks like Breeze, like Wilson, like Murray have success despite it. For me, the bigger concern, it is one I will admit, I thought of seeing that video of him on the field, uh, remains the size overall and the durability. And I think uh, scheme actually will help with that, but there's a couple other things that need to happen to protect him from unnecessary hits. The offensive line, which played at a really high level last year at the end of the season, that progress needs to continue, particularly mm -hmm. their left tackle, first-round draft pick, Iki Aquanu, had a rough start at the beginning of the season, then at the end was playing really good football when he dialed back the aggression a bit. Him and Taylor Moten, that's a good bookend of tackles. And the other thing is Bryce Young needs to protect himself. You know, in college, he played really well under pressure. He also yes. invited a lot of pressure. Mm. And I think he's going to have to calibrate that in the NFL because, of course, yeah. he'll be facing a different caliber or a different uh, level. Of defense. You want the rest of the show off? Because it's only going downhill from here. You got no, multiple no, no, people no, no, breaking you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to keep it rolling. We got 54 minutes. It's definitely going downhill. <laughs> well, he's contractually obligated to stay for the rest of the show. So we'll talk Come on. about the Houston Texans. Got more pick number one. Let's go. For pick one to pick two. The Texans also had their rookie minicamp this past weekend, meaning the first work on the field for second overall pick. CJ Stroud, the former Ohio State quarterback, gives Houston some much need of promise at the position. Here's second round pick center Juice Scruggs on Stroud. It's been really cool. Uh, you know, we had some crazy battles uh, with Ohio State. And just be able to meet him, uh, how humble he is and how passionate he is about this game. Uh, I'm excited to work with him and just getting to know him. And like you said, just trying to build that relationship, uh, get that chemistry going. And uh, what I thought about him in high school, uh, I mean, college, I thought he was the best quarterback in the country for sure. Little Penn State, Ohio State level. Is that allowed? I think I think at the pro level it is. All right. So just after Stroud, the Texans moved up to take Alabama edge defender Will Anderson to bring some life to that new defense under new head coach Miko Ryan. Miko Ryan. And while Anderson rushed primarily from a two-point stance during his college career, he's just into a new role that should be, which will include a lot more of a three-point stance in Houston, which he talked about over the weekend. 
Just being in Alabama, you know, they kind of prepared us for a little bit of everything, handing the dirt and, you know, playing a two-point stand. So it just kind of made me versatile. But, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. However they want to use me, it's just going to be, you know, um, you know anything I've kind of did at Alabama. So I'm super excited. But, you know, just to do anything they need me for the team. All right, Swaggy, we don't get a ton of time to kind of nerd out on defensive lineman technique, but nobody better talk about it than <laughs> you. So we're talking about a difference that may seem subtle to some, a two-point stance versus a three-point stance. But how is this going to impact Will Anderson? Yeah. How significant of a change will this be? Well, I was thinking about this. I want to kind of bring this in context because a lot of people huddle around TVs during the Olympics, and they look at the 100-yard meter dash. And there's a reason why those guys have, obviously, uh, the foot pedals and obviously get down in a three-point stance before they take off is because it, it it lessens the motion that you generate to go down to go forward more when you start talking about playing in a two-point stance like he did at Alabama the issue becomes if you are not a superior athlete you, your feet are a little bit slower and you don't come out with as much power here you see him in a three-point stance and you have no choice but to go forward when you put the weight on your fingertips and that's the difference it actually increases your ball get off i played with one of the best pass rushers who's going into the hall of fame this year in demarcus Ware, and he, he played when he played at troy he was in a two and a three-point stance he was he came to the dallas cowboys we're in a three four he started rushing from a two-point stance and it was an issue for him early in his career even though he was just such a superior athlete he had to work at being low enough to create explosion with that initial first step as opposed to having to drop his body weight first. Getting in a three-point stance just helps these guys see the ball and get off quicker. I mean, Will Anderson already had an explosive get-off in college, so the idea of that being amplified is, frankly, terrifying. Uh, I also think he's going to benefit from how he'll be deployed in D'Amico Ryan's defense. You know, we talked about this a lot, but his production at Alabama dipped in large part because of how he was used uh, between inside the tackle, sometimes over them. Uh, in this defense, it's a 4-3. It's obviously going to have some similarities to San Francisco. He's primarily going to be rushing from that wide, often wide nine alignment. Or Ryans will dial up games. They, the, Sheldon Rankins was a super underrated signing on the uh, defensive line. I think those two will be good playing together. This to me is about Ryans because sometimes in San Francisco we think, oh, he had so much talent. It was so easy. Just line them up. No, he actually was a very creative yeah. uh, defensive play caller when it came to the pass rush as well as the back end. So I'm excited to see how he uses Will Anderson and unleashes him. Marcus, real quick question. How will him going down to the three, uh, the three tech, um, impact his ability to like defend the run. I would imagine it's easier in a two-point stance. I mean, three-point stance versus two-point stance. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, it is easier in a two-point stance from a vision standpoint, but from a power standpoint and a knockback standpoint, which every defensive coach, every defensive line coach that you meet, all they talk about is we want to reset the line of scrimmage, right. meaning if we can play a, a yard or a half a yard in their backfield, we get the running back to stop his feet. We create havoc, and we can make plays. You do that at a better job having more power out of three-point stands. Uh, I appreciate that. I think Houston's got a chance to have a decent defense. Here's the reality. they got three guys on their back end that are pretty good players. If, if Stingley takes his step forward healthy, Jimmy Ward has come over, Petrie's a really good safety. The interior, their defensive line's not great. I think their linebackers, like from an offensive perspective, 
That's who I would try to attack both in the run and the pass game. They are not Fred Warner in Greenlaw like they had in San Francisco. That's really the biggest difference in my eyes from the offensive vantage point in comparison to what they had in San Francisco. We'll see how it all works out, but man, isn't it nice to be talking about Houston in this light with a bit of optimism. Totally. It's been a tough few years. We're just getting started here on NFL Live, and former Vikings linebacker Zadarius Smith has been traded to the Cleveland Browns, and Marcus believes this addition is bigger than people might think. Plus, Micah Parsons has been beefing up with hope of wreaking havoc off the edge. How will we see the Cowboys use him this year? Here why Mina thinks putting Parsons on the edge is Dallas's best bet. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. All right, time to read and react to some news and notes from around the NFL. And we start in Buffalo, where their first-round pick, tight end Delta Kincaid out of Utah, made it official and signed his rookie deal over the weekend. Dan, with Dawson Knox already a big part of this yeah. offense, how do you see them working Kincaid into the mix? Using 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, a lot more. And that's something that they have not had since Josh Allen has been their quarterback. Kincaid is basically four players in one. You could put him at the line of scrimmage, traditional tight end, mm. play action and run game. You could put him out by himself one-on-one -on -one, and create matchups and information in space. You can put him in the slot and create matchups for your pass game. And then you can motion him and change your formation. It's going to help in their run game because he's a better blocker than Dawson Knox their play-action game, and they'll control the defense's personnel. It's huge for Buffalo. One of the biggest surprises of the draft came when the Lions used the 12th overall pick on running back Jameer Gibbs. Gibbs was asked about it over the weekend. You admitted you were surprised that you were drafted that high when the Lions took you. Yeah. After the draft was over, I don't know if you heard, but people said, oh, that was the one reach that a team made. The Lions went too high. Did you hear that? What did you think about that? I mean, yeah. Like a reach? I mean, I heard it, but everybody's entitled to their opinion. I mean, I really don't. I really don't care. So. Like a pretty good philosophy in life, Mina. Like the pick or not, yeah. now their guy. I expect him to be used in Detroit. As a weapon, and he shouldn't care. He won't care when he's catching, you know, six, seven targets a game. At Alabama, we saw how electric he was running routes. He runs a full route tree. His hands are incredible, his burst, his explosiveness. My questions actually aren't about Jameer Gibbs as a pass catcher, which we've been talking about, that's the utility bring. I want to see what he looks like running between the tackles because that was the primary concern that I had about him translating to the NFL. Um, when he's able to find daylight, it's unreal, but when he's contacted, he can be brought down, and I think that's something I'll be curious to see in his first few NFL games. All right, we go from Detroit to free agency. As next up, we check in on quarterback Carson Wentz, who was released by Washington earlier this offseason. And this is from Jeremy Fowler over the weekend. 
that Wentz has been preparing in L.A. this offseason is he is receiving interest from teams, and he might have to wait longer into the offseason to see what develops, but he's open to any role, starter or backup. So, Swagoo, should there be any interest from teams when it comes to Carson Wentz? Man, Carson still hooping? Uh, no, nah, I'm just joking. Yeah, it should be some uh, It should be some interest, but it should be as a backup. Yes. And it should be uh, used when emergency is necessary. I think Carson Wentz has proven that at this point, you can't trust him as a quarterback. And the worst thing you can do is be untrustworthy at that position. He's had chance after chance. He's made a lot of money and been put in positions that were pretty favorable or advantageous and haven't uh, done what he needed to do. So I think the team should be interested, but as a backup for Carson Wentz. Yeah, no doubt a backup swag. I think being separated from that contract might be the best thing for Carson Wentz and his confidence going forward. There's also news out of Cleveland this weekend where the Browns traded for three-time Pro Bowl pass rushers, Zadarius Smith from the Vikings. Check this out. He's one of five players to record at least 10 sacks in three of the past four seasons. That's pretty good company he keeps. Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, T.J. Watt, Hassan Reddick. Despite that success, though, he's going to be playing for his third team in the last three seasons. Released by Green Bay, goes to Minnesota, now he gets traded to Cleveland. How big of a deal is this for the Browns, Swagoo? Oh, oh, it's so big. I think this is going to be one of those sneaky ones. If Cleveland is having a successful year and playing really good defense, we'll come back to Zadarius Smith being acquired in a trade. The one thing he does that Jadavian Clowney couldn't do is he gets quarterbacks on the ground. And that's not a slight at Jadavian Clowney. Clowney. Clowney was one of the best pressuring defensive ends in the NFL. He didn't finish at the quarterback. Zadarius finishes at the quarterback. And we know the other Amino on the other side by the name of Miles Garrett finishes. He is also going to dictate protection as well. He is a guy you have to pay more attention to. You don't want to leave your tackle on an island with Zadarius Smith for the majority of the game. Now you're in a conundrum. You're in a catch-22 with this situation in Cleveland as well. And the thing that we and, – and in this division – He's a good run defender as well, mm. which he doesn't get enough credit for, which you're going to have to be in this division with Pittsburgh and Baltimore, obviously, and Cincinnati. Yeah. I think Smith is a big addition. I also think a massive addition, one we really haven't talked about much, was the hiring of defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. Because um, yeah. I suspect it augurs a change in defensive identity that, simply put, I would describe as more aggressive not up front, especially now with his Darius Smith edition. Jim Schwartz doesn't really blitz much, but on the back end. So last year, Cleveland played about an even spit, split of man and zone. When they played zone coverage, they ranked 24th in the boom. NFL in EPA per play. When they played man, second in the league, they allowed the lowest QBR in football. They have the personnel mm. to do it. Denzel Ward is a true shutdown corner who can cover number one wide receivers. And now with Schwartz, given his history, I think they have a defensive coordinator who's also willing to call on them to play more man and be more aggressive. And I think it could have a huge impact. Who's the jerk on this defense? Like, like who's the jerk? Like, who's the, for better language, a-hole? And Marcus, you can, like, correct me if I'm wrong here. Mm -hmm. They don't have that guy. Mm -mm. Look at talent. Like how they just got him, Dio. Okay, if that's a Darius, he's like individually they just talented, got Marcus. Yep. Miles Garrett. <laughs> Dalvin Tomlinson, Zadarius Smith, Jock, Anthony Walker, Taki Taki, Denzel Ward, Grant Delpit, Juan Thornhill, Newsome. 
How is Ballers. this? I mean, that's, that's nine. That's ten names I, I just gave you guys. I know. There's only 11 on the field. Mm. They're so individually. Right, you know what I'm saying? Imagine? Yeah. So it's like they need to play I'm more connected, you. and that's going to be the challenge for Jim Schwartz. And I think, like, Mina, they'll be more aggressive in their zone. And, man, but at some point, Someone on the defense just got to be like, let, care less about being liked and be a little bit of a jerk on their, on yep. their unit because they're talented. Agree with you. Yeah, they certainly I are agree. talented. Yeah, the game is not played on paper, though, Dan. It feels like in recent years that talent has not necessarily matched the performance on the Always. field, or perhaps better said, vice versa. Hey, coming up next, the Dolphins secured some extra protection for Tua by signing a former Patriots offensive lineman in Isaiah Wynn. Dan will break down how this offense can put Tua in the best position to succeed. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu. The two best words in sports, Game 7. Stanley Cup playoffs tonight in Dallas. Kraken stars, Mina will be watching 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific on ESPN and the app. A spot in the Western Conference Finals is on the line, injected directly into the veins. Go to Miami and recap the Dolphins' offseason so far. Back in March, they exercised the fifth-year option on quarterback Tua Tungabailoa, presumably locking him in as their quarterback for the next two seasons at least. A couple days later, Miami acquired three-time All-Pro quarterback Jalen Ramsey from the Rams at a significant piece. For new defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, the Dolphins did not have a first-round pick in last month's draft, but in the second round, they added another cornerback by taking Cam Smith out of South Carolina and then speedy running back Devon A-Chain in the third round. A-Chain, of course, out of Texas A&M. The Dolphins did not have a whole lot of draft capital to work with, but they certainly did make the most of it with those picks we talked about. They did not address the offensive line until the seventh round of the draft, though, and that unit has been an issue in recent seasons. Despite the addition of Teron Armstead last offseason, the Dolphins ranked 24th in the NFL in pass block win rate in 2022. They've ranked amongst the worst units in the NFL since Tua made his debut back in 2020. With all that said, the Dolphins did make a move over the weekend, and they tried to help out that offensive line. ESPN NFL insider Jeff Darlington is with us. Jeff, what did Miami do to address that offensive line? Well, you know, this is the time of the offseason when you talk about those vulnerable units field. They went ahead and are trying to cobble this together going to training camp, and they did so by adding Isaiah Wynn, a former first-round pick. Now, it's a young player who's still got plenty of potential ahead of him, but Wynn has dealt with his share of injuries, so the question here, of course, is how much of a load can he handle with the Dolphins? I think that he'll be competing for that right tackle spot. That's based on some conversations I've had today. 
And ultimately, though, it is also depth behind Teron Armstead on the left side of the line. Now, we know Armstead has dealt with his share of injuries as well. So maybe the idea here is if you add a bunch of guys, they just won't be hurt at the same time. So I think the Dolphins can just simply hope that they can stay healthier this year. Tua Tungavailoa dealing with career-high sack numbers last season. They've got to get that fixed if they're going to succeed this season. They also did just sign Cedric Abwehi just moments ago, another former first-round pick. More from just Jeff no. in just a moment. <laughs> so uh, they're compiling all the former first-round picks, Mina. But uh, does this move, specifically Isaiah Wynn, address some of the offensive line uh, concerns at an adequate level in your mind? Uh, it certainly helps, and I, I have to say I like the move. Look, we know why Isaiah Wynn was available. Jeff alluded to the injury history. Um, he struggled after moving to right tackle for New England, but he's only a year removed from, I think, playing really good football, and he has a couple of qualities that I think should be especially useful to Miami. One is versatility. Uh, he's played left tackle, right tackle. He played some guard in college, which some people believe would be his best position. Uh, given his measurables and that's important because you know we saw in the offensive line there were injuries across the board at times so having at minimum depth there is important and then the other thing he has uh, he really showed I think during his second and third year in New England is nastiness in run blocking and we all want Miami to have a better rushing attack I think if he were to be in the mix he could help on that front as well yeah, I I'm going to put Miami and their coaching staff and Mike McDaniel their head coach on the spot here how did Tua get hurt, and are there things that you can do better to minimize the chances of those situations presenting themselves again? Number one, your tackles and shotgun, okay? okay. This is silent cadence at home. Once that at ball home. gets snapped, the left tackle is so late to get out to the defensive end, number one. Number two, make sure you got a back that can handle pass protection. This is the play that Tua gets hurt on, okay? So that's the first thing, focusing on those tackles. The second thing, when you go with this hard horizontal play action fake, their offensive line has to stay on the same plane, like the Saints clip I showed. Those guys are on all different levels. What happens there, they get split. The second thing, and this is a little bit teaching to Tua, it's not there, bub. Get the ball out of your hands. We took our shot, we lost, check it down. This is the play later on the season that ended the season essentially for Tua. Pull the backside guard and the tight end. This is a sell it downhill quick hitting play action, not the horizontal one. Ball should come out right now. Maybe Tua can't see it because all the bodies in the middle of the field. Again, we don't win Tua. This is when where is your outlet? Don't try to go make something. That's not who you are, okay, Tua? So, and I, I really want to drill this home because that first clip that I showed against Buffalo when he got hurt this year, that was a very similar clip to 2021 when Tua got hurt against the Buffalo Bills. It was fourth and two. Their tackles in Miami, for some reason, play slow to the snap when they're in shotgun. You can fix that. The second one, that horizontal play action, they got to coach them to stay on the same plane better. They can't give those creases. Marcus knows that. Those guys get on different levels. Quarterback's done. And that third one, maybe you don't do some of that hard sell play action because Tua may not be able to see. And then the last thing, Tua, where's your outlets? Where's your outlets? Where are your outlets? You're not a runaround creator. Where are your outlets? I think if they do that, I honestly think they can minimize some of the risk when it comes to his injuries. Dio, the point you made about being on the same plane, right? We know this offense loves a, a bunch of misdirection. They love to get you going one way and obviously use that against you in your cut splits. And as a defensive line, when those planes aren't the same, we immediately know that it's pass. Green grass, we convert yeah. the pass rush right. immediately. Yeah, green grass. Go to what you see. 
But when you're on the same plane, we have to respect the fact that this could still be a zone run. And that's the difference. Those are the little nuanced things that that, that I love that ah. we do on this show because those are actual <laughs> football that. plays. That is exactly what people are trying to set up to, to make us a little bit slower to diagnosing and then figuring out how to get to the football. Go ahead, MK. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's, there's a larger issue with the offensive line and what you guys are talking about in terms of uh, zone blocking, which is, I think I'm not 100% sure they have the right linemen to execute the sort of scheme they sure. ran in San Francisco when Mike McDaniel was a run game coordinator. And I kind of suspect that's a big part of the reason why they didn't run the ball as much as everybody kind of wanted them to as a changeup because of the personnel. Mm. Um, they didn't really change that personnel this yes. year. I know we're talking about adding Wynn, who we've seen do different kinds of run schemes in New England. But so I think when we look to this season and we're talking about protecting Tua, but when we also talk about running the football and why doesn't this run game look more like San Francisco, they have the backs right. to do it. I'm not so sure they have the sort of athletic linemen you need to pull that off. And not only that, MK, also, do they have the linemen capable of running certain protections? That's, that's, that's the part of this conversation as well. It's not just can we run those run schemes. It's do we have the offensive linemen to build – the play action pass game and protection stuff mm. off of it also. There's a there's a certain level go ahead. Oh, there's a certain level of athleticism that you need in order to run this scheme. And I don't think we talk about it enough yeah. that coincidentally Trent Williams is one of the most athletic left tackles in the league. We get enamored with the fact of all of the things that he can do, but that is a that is a necessity yeah. when you're trying to run this Kyle Shanahan scheme. I remember playing it when I was in the league athletic offensive linemen that can get to edges that were fast. So you can make play action, you can make bootleg, you can mm. make waggle, and you can make zone scheme look, look the same. exact same. And at times not having to block anybody and finding wide open green grass. And I can't wait for the AFC East this year. And along those lines, let's stay in the AFC East because the good vibes from acquiring Aaron Rodgers have perhaps left an important storyline overlooked in New York right now. The team and all pro defensive tackle, Quinton Williams, have not yet reached a deal on a long-term extension. So we got both Jeff and Swagoo here. Jeff for the news, Marcus for the impact. And Jeff, what is the new, the news, the update as it pertains to Quinton Williams today? Well, when it comes to being a disgruntled player in the NFL in 2023, we've reached stage two of the levels of disgruntled players. And the first stage was Qu <laughs> Quinn and Williams came out at the beginning of this offseason and said, I'm not going to be at the offseason program without right. a new deal. There's stage one. Stage two, taking to social media yeah. and showing your issues there. That's where we're at right now Disown. with Quinn Williams. Take a look at this Twitter page. Defensive tackle for dot, 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 dot. No longer citing the New York Jets as the team. And actually, if you look at the last time Quinnen Williams retweeted something, if we're really digging this deep, it was our Adam Schefter talking about the deal that Dexter Lawrence got. So look, here's the deal. Quinnen Williams wants a new contract. It shouldn't be really that hard to figure this out. We've got three stud defensive tackles who have signed new deals this offseason. You look at the numbers, they're all pretty close between 21.8 million and 23.5 million per year with between 59 to 60 million in guaranteed money. So we're at stage two field. Stage three is usually a public trade request. <laughs> we'll see if it gets that far. 
Jeff, you make it. That, that's the point, bro. And, and look, the point is obviously what you said about um, about Dexter Lawrence getting signed, about Jeffrey Simmons getting signed, Javon Hargrave in free agency gets mm. get a big bag from the San Francisco 49ers. It's not like it's not a blueprint out there and a, and a range for what these guys are making. The second thing is, and I told people, I know how focused the New York Jets were on Aaron Rodgers, as they should have been. But they can't forget about this young anchor to this defense mm. that they want to build over a long period of time of trying to have a tremendous amount of success from a defensive standpoint. Quentin Williams has been paying attention to all of this stuff as well. And I'm sure he's happy about having Aaron mm. Rodgers. He ain't happy about not having his $100 million contract. Yeah, Swagoo, I know you love what you do here. and We love having you here. But do you ever think that you maybe came into the league like 15 years too early because $22.5 million dollars for a defensive tackle? What a time to be alive, my friend. Don't tell him this. Hey, I'm telling you, throwback Thursday will be Swagoo. Uh, half is 11. You know hey, when we come back, uh, we'll be on Will B. John Robinson's dynamic playmaking be enough to elevate this Falcons' offense? Hear why Dan expects him to make defenders head spin next season. Top-ranked boxing comes your way Saturday night as undisputed lightweight champ Devin Haney Squares off against the former unified lightweight champ, Vasily Lomachenko. The main card starts at 10 Eastern on ESPN Plus. Pay-per-view. New on NFL Live. I thought my offseason workout program was going pretty well. It's nothing compared to Joe Burrow. Damn, we call him Swoburrow now. Look at Joe Kane out there for the Bengals, man. Look, like Look at Joe and B, man. But mama and baby Look at Joe and B, man. Looking for dinner. All the... All all of, all of the unseasoned grilled chicken in the world ain't going to make you look like this, Dan Orlovsky. Not, uh, not to be overlooked. Is he's, got, he's got the headband, too. That hair. That boy looks good. That's a weird thing to say. Lojo Burr. All right, we go from Cincinnati to Atlanta. As the Falcons have hammered offense in the first round of the past three drafts, they most recently used the eighth overall pick on running back Bijan Robinson to complement Kyle Pitts and Drake London. As far as utilization goes, Robinson's says don't put him in a box because he can do a whole lot. I mean, this is exciting, man. Uh, and for them to, to give me a chance to come out here and to, to show the abilities that, that, I've, that I've been given, um, I think it's pretty cool because, you know, Drake and Kyle, those are obviously two great, great players uh, for the team, for the NFL. You know, they do things the right way at, at their position. So hopefully I can, you know, learn from them um, in practices and, and even off the field to see how they became, you know, successful in their, in their game so I can become, you know, successful in mine. If his last season at Texas is any indication, indication, Bijan Robinson certainly has the ability to be a weapon in the passing game. He averaged over 16 yards per reception last year. That was the highest by any running back in the FBS. That includes seven receptions of 20 or more yards. Also the most by any FBS back. So, Swagu, running back going eighth overall, pretty controversial. No matter what year, no matter what player it is, would you like the idea of Robinson being used in that dual role, role tapping into his receiving as well? Yeah, babyface, and this is not a new idea that I'm about to talk about, but you can justify the draft position by him being multiple. Mm. Obviously, the first guys that come to mind is Christian McCaffrey, yep. another guy, Saquon Barkley, early in his career. We think about Debo Samuel, and obviously he's a wide receiver, but they use him in the backfield, and they use him to create mismatches in the open field. And the one thing that goes very unnoticed when you have guys like a Bijan or those guys that you can get the ball in the open field, they are hard to tackle. And I'm not talking about being elusive, 
Usually these guys are bigger than most of the DBs that have to come up and tackle them in space as well. So you create these advantages, right? When you have a guy of this particular skill set, and I gotta believe that that is what Arthur Smith is thinking. I think Cardell Patterson is a guy that does not get enough credit for his multiplicity over the extended amount of, of reps in this career. And he's had a phenomenal career, Cordero Patterson. But Bijan is a younger version of a guy like a McCaffrey, in my opinion, or a Saquon Barkley. You can use in multiple ways and justify the amount of money that he's getting now. And potentially, if he stays healthy, he gets on the second deal as well. Uh, the biggest impact for me is going to be confusion in their run game. Arthur Smith, their play caller, is one of the better run game coordinators. And I really think that run game-wise, they're going to try to model what Philadelphia did with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. Think about this. They got four guys that you're like, hey, we have 70 plays a game. How many different ways can we just get these guys touches? Number one, Bijan Robinson. He's going to get 20, 25 touches a game. I don't care how Better. you do it. Number two, it will be Desmond Ritter as a runner in the zone run game, trying to replicate Jalen Hurts and stuff. Three, Kyle Pitts. Remember that tight end, Kyle Pitts, that was the number four pick at a draft? Trying to find ways where you can get a mismatch for him, an easy catch out in the flat right now. Cordero Patterson. And then Drake London, it's time to hurt defenses when they're like this. Where's the ball? Where's these motions and shifts? And I've, mm. I've got all these speed players and the ball fake and the mo scissors action. And then you're trying to get these one-on-one -on -one big chunks for Drake London. I think the confusion in the run game is going to be the biggest benefit and impact that Bijan will bring and the Makes ability sense. for Drake London to make some of those big plays contested down the field. So the most common personnel grouping in the modern NFL is 11, three wide receivers on the field. It's been that right. way for quite some time now. Atlanta is going to push the limits of yeah, using, using as of little 11 yeah. personnel as possible. Like we, this is a team that's going to measure in yeah personnel packages beginning with two, not just 21, which we talked about last year, 22, yep. 23, 23 with three tight ends on the field. The two is it refers to the two backs. And I think the San Francisco comparison, by the way, we talked about using 21 personnel is really apt, uh, not yeah. because these players are the same. They're, they're very different in terms of what they're capable of. B. John Robinson is a different player from Christian McCaffrey. But from a team building perspective, it's the same approach to what we're seeing right now with the 49ers, which is going all in on skill players who are mismatches mm. in a way that, frankly, doesn't require that much from the quarterback. Like Desmond Ritter could be Correct. great. Maybe they believe in him, that he has the potential to take a leap. But the reality is because of what they're bringing to the table with these skill players and what they've invested in them in the draft, he doesn't have to be great. Right. I need them to be the 49ers and not the Broncos of two years ago and the Jets of this past year where everything but the quarterback works. Right. right? We can't have that. Just be a game. distributor, man. Play All point guard. Hey, still to come here on NFL Live with talk of Micah Parson lining up on the edge. Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn has some clarifying remarks. And how about Josh Allen up there in Toronto? which is like right across the way from Buffalo. We'll see here in a second. And uh, Josh Allen, new on NFL Live here. Open stance. Hits you see the toe tap? Watch the left foot. Bonk. Just you're, a, you're he's a tap guy, not a big stride a guy. guy. Look at that open yeah, right, that. How open does he stance. evolve that? Look at the left tap. Okay, Josh. Uh-huh. Okay, Josh. Hitting. Okay, then. Bonk. That was me as a 12-year-old. More of the Cowboys coming up next.
never put yourself in a confined box. Uh, you know, push yourself beyond limits. I think a lot of people didn't know where to play me. He's the best defensive player in the league. If Michael Parsons just played that position, he'd have 25 seconds. And just trying to stick in the run, you know, it's hard, you know, battling 300-pound guys at 245 pounds every week. You know, so I'm just trying to put five pounds of muscle, just eating right and just, uh, just living right. Micah Parsons lined up as an edge rusher on 78% of his snaps last season, nearly double the rate from his rookie season when he played off-ball linebacker much more often. Parsons leads the NFL in pass rush win, win rate as an edge rusher over the last two seasons, but defensive coordinator Dan Quinn still has plans to utilize Parsons' versatility off the ball. Here's what Quinn had to say. He is a pass rushing linebacker. Okay, so if you ever need uh, position changes, come to me, okay? Not to any of the guys, and we can adjust for that. I think what he was probably trying to say is I'm really emphasizing some pass rush uh, into my offseason. Dan, do you like what Dan Quinn is saying there about his star edge slash linebacker? I like the fact that if I'm an offensive person, if they're going to play him just a defensive end, heck yeah. I, 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 there's this that. thing in football – we kind of call it where's Waldo. Okay. And the more you watch defenses play, the more defenses are starting to play and call defenses like offenses do. Where's Waldo? Who's the moving piece? Where's the Travis Kelsey? Where's the Debo Samuel? If you play him at just as defensive end, I usually know where he's going to line up nine out of ten snaps. And I can formation him and double him and get him away from the play. But if you use him as that move around piece like an offense does a Travis Kelsey or a Debo Samuel, I might call a play that I love going to the left, and all of a sudden he lines up at left defensive end. I'm like, oh, that play's dead. Or I might call a play to the perimeter to the right, and all of a sudden he's out hanging over the slot. And I'm like, well, that play's dead. Mm. So I think for Dallas, the best thing is for them to continue to move him in all these different areas. For opposing offenses, you want him in one specific position that you can consistently know where he's going to be. Yeah, one of the great things about the, our game and, and what we – what we cover is the fact that you are so dependent on the guys around you, especially, and Dan and Mina MK has, have heard me talk about how the defensive line has to be so tied together in order for guys to have an amount of success that you see when these guys are getting 20 and 13 and a half and consistently get 15 sacks. The addition of Mozzie Smith, who they drafted, if he can command double teams because of his yeah. – physical prowess and the pressure in the center of the line of scrimmage. That is going to help Micah Parsons. The fact that Demarcus Lawrence is on the other side. We saw them deploy a lot of looks when it came to pass rush last year. But when you got a big physical presence on the interior of the line of scrimmage and you can start gaming with Micah Parsons, if that physicality is enough to make that center have to pay attention instead of sliding the line all the way out to Michael Parsons when you in pass protection, it changes a lot about his ability and what he can do off the edge. Dan Quinn and this defensive staff has to be thinking, how can we get these three or four other guys that's lined up at this line of scrimmage to command enough attention for us to get 11 his one-on-ones, whether he's at linebacker or on the end of the line of scrimmage. And I think Mozzie is going to play a big role in that if he can push the pocket and command a double team. Really good point about Mozzie Smith because the reality is um, a lot of the times when Dallas did play Micah Parsons off the ball in game last year, it wasn't to necessarily to sow confusion. It was to shore up their run defense. He was their best 
run defending linebacker and they needed him to. And so in games like Green Bay, where they were clearly worried about getting ran on, he played off the ball a lot. Aaron Rodgers was barely pressured in that game. And I think that's why for Dallas, the optimal scenario to me is not moving Micah Parsons around. It's shoring up your run defense with other players so that he can do what he does best which is get to the quarterback. I, I feel like every snap that he is not on the defensive line is a win. For I, I disagree with you, Dan, in that regard for the quarterback because I believe he's one of the two or three best edge rushers in football. Yeah, two really compelling cases by Very both of you presented. By the way, that highlight tape is just <laughs> ridiculous. Seeing all the things that he can do formationally, alignment, that is His whole career highlight tape right now. <laughs> hey, time for one more thing before we go. We check in on college graduations from over the weekend. We start in Oklahoma, where 2023 keeps getting better for Jalen Hurts. After oh, signing a $255 million a contract, Hurts was awarded his master's degree at the Oklahoma graduation ceremony. It's never too old to get your college degree, as Bucks coach Todd Bowles at 59 walked out with the class of 23 at Mount St. Mary's after completing his Bachelor of Science in Youth and Community Development. This was for his mom, Joan, of course, Mother's Day over the weekend, 37 years after Todd Bowles left college early to start his NFL career. It was a promise that he made. That's wonderful, late. man. That's a beautiful way to celebrate Amen. your That's mother awesome. on Mother's Day. Well done. Great job right there by both Jalen Hurst and <laughs> yes, Todd Bowles. NFL Live. Mark, did you get your degree? Tomorrow. He's already got one, man. He's got multiple. He ain't got no degree. We'll see you guys tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern time. In direct deposit. <laughs>